It's great to worship with you all. We're going to continue this time of worship. Did you know that celebrating people can be worship? Because when we're celebrating people, we're not just celebrating them. But in the body of Christ, when we're celebrating people, we're celebrating the Lord and his work through them. And we have some people that we want to celebrate this morning as we begin this time of prayer. And it's going to kind of set the stage for our directed prayers this morning. But over recent months, many of us have been unable to gather on campus because of COVID-19. And a tremendous amount of work has gone into improving and updating our live stream so that we can broadcast a quality presentation of the service into the homes of people. And the people who are primarily responsible for that would be Justin Werner and Taylor, his wife, and then Shiloh Dellinger, Janessa, his wife, for all the time and energy that their families have put into our live stream. And then their team, Jordan Apple, has been an incredible part of that. Catherine Engel has been an incredible part of that, and others who have given time and energy. And I just wonder if we could just thank them this morning for all the effort that they put into this. Thank you, guys. And then in the midst of a pandemic, God is still being faithful and adding to our church. And one of the people, one of the couples that he's recently added is Chad and Denna Robinson. And I want to ask them if they come and join me up here this morning. Chad and Denna have been in my small group for quite a while. Chad for a while. When it was just a men's group, Chad was part of that group with us. And then we became an everyone's group and Denna joined our group. And Rachel and I just want to take a little bit of opportunity to introduce them to you in case you haven't met Chad and Denna yet. But we also want you um, to be able to celebrate with us because not only have Chad and Denna come and joined our church, but Chad and Denna are also taking on the role of heading up the media ministry for our church. And they'll be doing that from now on. So can we just celebrate that and thank the Lord for them? So we're doing some social distancing, so I want to encourage you just to stay where you are, but we're going to join together in prayer this morning. And you can participate by just putting a hand out like this toward Chad and Dinah. And we're just going to begin this time of prayer by praying over Chad and Dinah and over their ministry here at our church. So would you join me? Would you? I'm going to give you a chance. You just pray right now as the body, and then I'll pray after you pray. So you pray right now over Chad and Dinah. Lord, thank you for your body and for your spirit. Lord, thank you for the oneness that we have in you. Lord, thank you that you are the head of your church. And Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, to add to each local body as we seek you first and as we trust you for our needs that you provide. 
Lord, thank you for the people that you call and that you raise up to fill in the gap in ministry in your body. And Lord, we pray over Chad and Dinah and just ask in this area of ministry, Lord, that they would be blessed and that through their ministry that many people would be blessed and that people would come to know you as a result of the ministry that's happening here at Western Hills and the media ministry. Lord, would you fill them with your spirit? Lord, would you fill their team with your spirit? And Lord, would you just um, bless all the efforts that the equipment would just work correctly, Lord, that you would just go before them on thinking through all the dozens of details that have to be thought through before every service, Lord. Would you just bless them with that and their team? And Lord, would you give unity to their team and to our church as a result of the ministry that's happening through this young couple. We pray a blessing on their marriage. Lord, we pray a blessing on their home. We ask that you would go before them, that you would come behind them, that you would surround them. Lord, with your love and with your presence, we agree together as your body. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks. One more time, can we just express our appreciation to Chad and Dinah? We're going to continue to pray this morning in our directed prayers for this ministry of our church because it's an important one. The media team has a long arm of outreach in our church uh, because they give a window to people who can't be here on campus with us. I was the benefactor last week as we were out of town, but I still joined you uh, for the service, and I was grateful for that opportunity to do that. And then for visitors who are considering joining our church. It's a great window for them just to, to see what we're about and to hear messages online. Um, and so that's a great ministry. And then we've had people from other countries even, and certainly other states, comment on our live stream that they're watching and they're hearing the gospel and they're hearing a vision of relational disciple making as this broadcast goes out. And so we're very grateful for the media ministry. And I wonder if you would join me in prayer this morning because this ministry isn't possible without a team of volunteers to make it possible. And I just want, want to know if you would pray with me right now that God would bless the media ministry with volunteers that would enable our church to carry out this ministry with excellence. Would you pray for that right now with me? Lord, we thank you for adding Chad and Dinah to our church as laborers in your harvest. And Lord, we just pray that right now that you would add laborers to our church. Lord, from the north, south, east, and west, those who can join in the work and the effort of advancing your kingdom here through this local body. Lord, I pray from within our congregation that you would raise up leaders to join areas of ministry. And specifically this morning, we pray that you would add volunteers to the media ministry as we continue to send out your truth, your message to others through modern means of technology. Would you do that, Lord? Thank you for, in advance for what you're going to do. Amen. And then I want to ask you to pray with me this morning. One of the long-standing traditions and prayers of our church is that God would add to our church from the north, the south, the east, and the west, those who are being saved and those who can join in 
in the effort to make disciples of Jesus. And I just want to ask you right now, uh, if you would pray with me, that God would add to this local body of believers and that we would see new faces come in through these doors and that when they enter, that they would sense the presence of God among us and that they would pick up quickly on our love for one another, that they would know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. So let's pray that God would use the media ministry to draw people in from the north, south, east, and west, that he would send us both laborers for the harvest and those who are being saved. Would you pray with me? Could we just pray this prayer as we close this time in agreement? Would you just repeat after me? Just say, oh, Lord, we ask you to add to our church from the north and the south and the east and the west. Those who can join us in your mission and those who are being saved. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, as we conclude this time of prayer, I just want to ask that you would take this moment to prepare your heart for the preaching of the word, knowing that God has a message for you this morning and that when his word is preached, that he wants to speak to you directly. Would you ask him with anticipation to speak to you this morning, to guide you in what he has called you to do and how he wants you to live this week in light of his kingdom and who he is as our king. Would you pray that prayer right now? see y'all. Glad that you're here this morning. Look at that right there. That is Paul and Evelyn McKeith. So good to see you. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm, I'm glad you feel well enough to be with us today. And it's an encouragement to us just to see you guys. So hope it's an encouragement to you. I don't know if you, you know, I've seen it a little bit. I don't know if I've been an encouragement to you or not, but I, we certainly want to be. I know my wife is. In fact, we're going to lunch this Tuesday, Lord willing, correct? All right, we'll look forward to that. Well, great to see you. Thanks for joining us this morning and being a part of us. Something else to celebrate is uh, generosity of our church. You know, we are one body, and uh, we participate together in the advancement of the kingdom, and we give to various causes. And we just received this. Uh, it's dated March the 1, 2020. And it says, this certificate is proudly presented to Western Hills Baptist Church, Oklahoma City. It's with great joy, Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. 
is able to recognize Western Hills Baptist Church, Oklahoma City, as the number three out of the top 50 churches who blessed the Oklahoma Baptist Home for Children their financial giving for 2019. Your sacrificial giving enables each part of this ministry to continue to provide family services and best of all, share the name of Jesus. And it's signed by Greg McNeese, who is the president of Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. So congratulations, church family. And uh, we celebrate that this morning. Got to dismiss the children, correct? Children fifth grade and under can go right out this door to my right if you want them to go into our Bible zone this morning. That would be awesome. Last Sunday morning, I, I brought attention to what I believe is the greater, greatest systemic problem in our society, and that problem is the problem of the family and how weak the family is in the United States of America. And uh, the, the systemic problem begins with men in the family who don't love their wives as Christ loves the church. And as a result, it infects the whole family and, and creates an incredible problem in the family when men don't love their wives as Christ loved the church. And I want to pray for the families right now in our nation. Uh, you know, when you say this word, that's a new word that I never used before until recently, systemic. You know, what does that mean exactly? Well, it means that there's something within the institution that's creating a terrible problem. And certainly what I see that's creating a terrible problem in the family primarily is weak men when it comes to loving their families as Christ loves the church. And so I want to pray for the men of our nation to rise up to the challenge and accept the challenge instead of running away from it like so many are. Uh, so many are abandoning their families and uh, running away from the problem instead of standing up and becoming the men of God that God wants us to be. So I want to pray for the men of our nation, the, the ones that are husbands, the ones that are fathers, to fulfill the God's calling on their life. Uh, to love their wife as Christ loves the church, lead their family correctly. So well, let me pray over the families of the nation, and certainly that includes our families. Father, we, I see such a great need as I look at our nation. If I was on the news every day, this is all I'd be talking about. This is all I'd be prophesying about is the weak men in our nation. Lord, who don't love their wives. Lord, who have abandoned their post, who aren't fulfilling their responsibility. Lord, to their wives and to their children. And I pray, God, that you would just uh, move in the hearts of men throughout this nation and bring a revival, Lord, of strong men leading their families the way that we need to be leading them as your men. I pray great conviction to fall upon the men of this nation. Lord, I pray that their consciences would not be seared but would be pricked by your word and that they would fall on their faces under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repent of their sin, Lord, for being such poor and terrible leaders in their homes. God, I pray, God, that you would help the church, Lord, continue to rise up and speak to this issue. 
And I pray, God, that you would continue to use Western Hills to accomplish that purpose and that mission, both in our city, our state, and in our nation. In Jesus' name, Lord, let it be done. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series of messages on unlikely heroes. This is the third message in, from the life of the Apostle Paul and what made him a hero of the faith. We, we started out by talking about why would Paul be an unlikely hero, and we discovered that that was pretty obvious. There was a number of reasons that we focused on, but the primary reason that he would be an unlikely hero of the Christian faith is that he was at one time the chief adversary against Jesus in the nation of Israel, leading the Jews uh, in order to persecute Christians. And so he goes from that position to being a hero of the Christian faith. And we've seen that in the life of the Apostle Paul, what made him a hero of the Christian faith is that he was willing to, to he was ready to die for the name of Jesus. We saw that a few weeks ago. And then we saw that uh, last week that he loved all people. Color of skin didn't matter to him, nationality, gender, or whatever. He just loved everybody. He even loved his enemies. And we focused on how he loved his enemies last week. If you can get that one down, you can have a great marriage, by the way. Just learn how to love your enemies, and you can love your wife as Christ loves the church. And the same goes for wives. Just learn how to love your enemies, and you can love your husband the way you're supposed to love your husband. And so Paul did that. He loved all people, and that made him an unlikely hero of the faith. And this morning, I want to focus on a third thing about the life of Paul that made him an unlikely hero. And I want to read to you from 1 Timothy 2 and 1 through 7. I want to see if you can catch it as I read it in this passage of Scripture. Paul is writing to one of his disciples named Timothy. Thus, you have the name of this, this book. And... Uh, he had mentored Timothy for many years in the Christian faith, and he wrote this to him in this particular passage. It says, I, Therefore I exalt, first of all, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he goes on to say, even for kings, and that's what we need to be doing right now, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There you have the gospel. Right there is the gospel in verse 5. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And then he says, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and I am speaking the truth in Christ, and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I want to look at verse 7 this morning, and I want you to see in verse 7 why Paul was an unlikely hero of the Christian faith. It was because he spoke the truth about Christ. Now, the word truth that's used there, it means fact or it means reality. Truth is reality. Truth is fact. Now, Paul was a theologian. A theologian is someone who doesn't study science, doesn't study history. They study God. A theologian is someone who is an expert 
in the truth about God. And Paul was a theologian. He was an expert in the truth about God. Now he says that he received the truth by divine revelation that came from Jesus Christ himself and the Holy Scripture. Paul claimed that he saw the risen Jesus. And not only did he see him once, but he had encounters in these revelations that he experienced where he was caught up into the heavenlies and was speaking directly to the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving revelation from God. And he claims that he got this revelation through Jesus Christ and he also got this revelation from the Holy Scriptures. And when he talks about the Holy Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures of the Jews, Genesis through Malachi. He was an expert in the Scriptures. And Paul makes this claim that he received this divine revelation in many places, among them Romans 16, 25 through 27, Galatians 1, 11 through 12, and Ephesians 3, 1 through 5. So Paul is a theologian. He claims that he speaks the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he received that truth by divine revelation. What we need to understand about Paul that made him an unlikely hero of the faith was that he spoke the truth in some very difficult situations. On his mission to make disciples, you know, remember, he, he actually took uh, three planned mission trips, then, then a fourth one that was unplanned, which took him to Rome. And on those mission trips that he took, many times he would reside in various towns for uh, a year or more. And as he was there, he was speaking the truth. And as he spoke the truth on these various missionary journeys, he always was encountering these difficult situations to speak the truth. For example, it wasn't long before false teachers began to rise up in the church and began to pervert the truth. That's what false teachers do. False teachers are those who pervert the truth. I think we have that, right? Up there? Maybe not? It's coming. There we go. False teachers, I want them to see that, those who pervert the truth. So he encountered false teachers. False teachers that they, would, they, were, they had part of the truth, but they were also teaching parts that were not truth. They were perverting the truth about Jesus Christ. And then he also encountered hypocrites. Hypocrites in the church. And hypocrites are those who misrepresent the truth. They may believe the truth. They may be able to teach the truth correctly, but they're not living the truth. They have secret sins in their lives that they're not repentant of. And so they're misrepresenting the truth. And then he was always encountering lost people. And lost people are those who just flat out deny the truth. They don't believe that what you're saying is true at all. And they suppress the truth and deny the truth. There's many examples of this in the scriptures where Paul was encountering these difficult situations. For example, as far as encountering false teachers, Paul planted a church in a place called Galatia. 
And it wasn't long until false teachers from outside the church came into that church after he had left it, and they began to teach the people that in order to be saved, yes, you needed to believe in Jesus, but you also needed to keep the laws of Moses. And one of the laws that every man needed to keep in order to be saved is that he had to be circumcised. And so these false teachers came into the church at Galatia and began to mislead the people. Well, Paul confronted those false teachers with the truth. And that's what the book of Galatians is all about. And he confronted them very strongly with the truth. He was not going to let them get away with deceiving the church by perverting the truth. And then he dealt with hypocrites. In fact, in, in that church in Galatia, he mentions a time where he actually confronted another apostle for his hypocrisy. And that apostle was named Peter. Now, Peter did incredible things for the church of Jesus Christ after Jesus rose from the dead. But he had a moment, at least in his life, where he was walking in hypocrisy. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verses 11 through 14, the apostle Paul confronts Peter to his face. You see, Paul says that Peter at one time was eating and drinking with the Gentile Christians. And then when certain Jews showed up who were of the concision, which means those who believed that in order for Gentiles to be saved, not only did they need to believe upon Jesus, but they also, the men had to be circumcised. When some of them showed up, then all of a sudden, Peter withdrew from eating and drinking with the Gentiles who were uncircumcised, and he would only eat and drink with those Jewish people who claimed to know Jesus, who believed that circumcision was necessary. And Paul just confronted him to his face. He said, how do you live like a Gentile, but yet you're walking like a Jew? And he confronted him about his hypocrisy. Another place that Paul confronted the church about its hypocrisy was in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 through 13. In that situation, there was a man in the church who was committing sexual immorality with his father's wife. It's interesting, it doesn't say his mother. It just says with his father's wife. And Paul was appalled by this immorality at that the church was not confronting it. And so in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 through 13, he confronts the hypocrisy in the church, but also in this man, because this man, he was professing to be a follower of Jesus as he participated in the love feast of the church, as he participated in the communion of the church. And Paul confronted him and confronted the church. And he said to the church, he said, look, I've already judged this man. He said, I've already, I've already turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. And he said, church, I want you to do the same thing. And so he confronted the hypocrisy in the church. And then as far as lost people, you just read through the book of Acts, and it's just one encounter after another that the Apostle Paul had with lost people. One of the ones that stands out to me is in Acts 25 and 26, where Paul is standing before kings, and man, he is not backing down an inch when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, at one point, one of the rulers named Festus said, Paul, you're losing your mind. And Paul still didn't back down 
from proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul dealt with false teachers, hypocrites, and lost people. And he became a hero of the faith because he was willing to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus in these very difficult circumstances. You know, because Paul spoke the truth, we have throughout the book of Acts the record of what happened. The, what happened was many repented and changed their minds about what they believed, and they became followers of Jesus. We find instances of that in Acts 14.1, in Acts 17.12, in Acts 18.8, in Acts 19, 18 and 19. And that's just a few of the examples. Paul preached and many came to know Jesus. I call him the greatest missionary in the history of the church. And uh, it was because so many came to Christ through his ministry. Well, at the same time, because of Paul's commitment to speak the truth, he also suffered incredibly. And he talks about that suffering in 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 28. And I'm not going to read it to you for lack of time, but you can read it yourself and, uh, in that passage of Scripture. And it was an incredible amount of suffering that he went through. Why? Because he spoke the truth. You see, if Paul was just a good moral man, if he just had great character, he wouldn't have suffered. Neither would he have reached all those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand those who say that you can preach the gospel without words are absolutely in error. You've got to speak the truth of the gospel for people to know the gospel and be saved. Yeah, we need to have credibility in the way that we live, and that credibility comes from the way that we love people and the way we love one another. But make no mistake about it. If you're going to make a difference in the lives of other people, you have got to be willing to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people. It took tremendous courage for Paul to do that. And where did that courage come from? Well, I get the impression that Paul had a lot of courage in his own flesh. I, I, I believe that's true about him. But the courage that we see in Paul his readiness to lay down his life for the name of Jesus didn't come from his own flesh. It came from the Holy Spirit. He was emboldened by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul lived a Spirit-filled life. And as a result of that Spirit-filled life, he had this incredible courage to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, we know that's where it came from because in Ephesians chapter 6, and verses 19 through 20, Paul enlisted the church at Ephesus to pray for him to have the courage to speak the truth of the gospel to others. We preachers, we all need that. We need you praying for us to speak the truth, that we won't compromise the truth, that we'll speak it out, because that's what changes the hearts and lives of other people. You know, it's really natural to be courageous to defend yourself or someone you love from physical harm, I mean, most people, if someone broke in their home and they had, uh, a man had a wife or he had children there, most men, it would be natural for them to try to defend their family and protect their family from harm. That's not an unnatural thing to do. That's a natural thing. It would be unnatural for a man not to do it, right? I want you to understand it's not natural to speak the truth when what you say could cause you or someone you love to suffer harm. That is not natural. What's natural is to be silent rather than speaking the truth. 
if it's going to bring harm to you or harm to someone else. It takes the courage of the Holy Spirit to speak the truth when it could bring harm to you or to someone else that you dearly love. Unlikely heroes of our faith have the courage of the Holy Spirit to speak the truth no matter what it costs. Well, you know, there's nothing new under the sun according to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. These same type of people that Paul confronted with the truth are present right now in our church and in our world. There are false teachers among us, and we must speak the truth to them. There are false teachers who would pervert the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those among us who are hypocrites, those who have secret sins in their life and they're unrepentant, they're not being transparent, they're not even seeking to change, but they're, they're faking it, <laughs> they're pretending to walk with Christ when they're really not. And God wants us to confront those who are hypocritical in the way that they're misrepresenting the truth and tell them the truth. And then there are those among us that are lost, those in our church that are still lost in their sins, who haven't been redeemed by the Spirit of God, who haven't been born again of the Spirit of God, who don't have a relationship with God even though they profess Christ. We have lost people in our midst and certainly all around us in the world, the world is full of lost people. We have been called and commissioned by Jesus to all go speak the truth. Every one of us is called and commissioned by Jesus to go and speak the truth because he calls every one of us to go and make disciples. It's not an option. It is a command. It is a calling on our life to go and make disciples. And that means that we must speak the truth in order to make disciples of Jesus Christ. How can you... As a member of the church of Jesus, share the truth with people in the most effective way. That seems to be a real struggle with most folks in the church of Jesus. Like, where do I start to share the truth? You know, and so as a result, you can ask that your whole life. And we do know from the statistics that uh, have been come through surveys that there are many people in the church, it's like a huge percentage, the majority of the church never shares the gospel with one person throughout the course of their whole Christian life. They expect the preacher to do it, they expect the evangelist to do it, but they never do it themselves. And so it's an incredible problem in the church, and it all begins with understanding that every one of us is called to share the truth with others in an effective way. Well, there was only one Apostle Paul, and I'm certainly not like him. I mean, he had an incredible, extraordinary knowledge of the Scriptures that's way beyond my knowledge of the Old Testament, an understanding of the Old Testament that's way beyond my understanding of the Old Testament, and all of us that are here this morning and all those that are online. And so there was only one Apostle Paul. He was an apostle. <laughs> he was the first apostle. The word apostle just means missionary. But he was the first missionary, one of the first missionaries, and he had these extraordinary sign gifts that were given to him that he could perform in order to use those sign gifts in order to bring glory to Christ and bring people to salvation. He had the gifts of an apostle. 
So there was only one Apostle Paul. But in the church today, there are those people that have extraordinary knowledge of the Scriptures and the spiritual gift that enables them to communicate that knowledge in a very effective way. In Ephesians 4.11, the Apostle Paul, talking to the church at Ephesus, talked about who those people were, and he called them apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And so, yes, today in the church right now, there are people that are gifted to communicate the Word of God in a very effective way to groups of people. They have a unique and special calling from God upon their life. So, yes, yes, there are those people in the church. But you know what they are called to do? All of them that I just mentioned in Ephesians 4, they're called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're called to equip the saints for the work of discipleship, for the work of teaching the truth to others. So even though they have a special and unique gift, it does not, it does not uh, let the rest of the church off the hook. Everyone, every member is called to go and make disciples of Jesus. Every one of us. Well, what's a good and effective way to get that done? Well, what we have discovered is that Jesus modeled for us a way for every member of his church to share the truth with others. And what we need to get from you is total buy-in. Total buy-in to the what Jesus did to model it. I mean, Jesus was very careful in the way he went about sharing the truth with others. He did not just build a large uh, worship center and start preaching and teaching and invite people to come to hear him preach and teach. He could have done that, and he chose not to. Instead, he modeled for his church an effective way to share the truth with others. And we've been doing this for a number of years now, and all I can tell you is it works. It works. It reproduces. What is that way? Well, first of all, Jesus recruited others to be in a group. That's what he did. He recruited others to be in a group. Matthew 4:19, he said to uh, two men, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he was saying, follow me all the time, by the way. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But he went out and he recruited people. He recruited them. He called people to be in a group with him is what he did. And then after he invited him into the group, Jesus created an environment of love with those that he was discipling in the group. I mean, he loved them. John 13, 34, and 35 says to the disciples of Jesus that they're to love one another. Love one another as he loved them. And he showed us how that looks by the way that he loved those that he was sharing the truth with. And then we know that Jesus used a reproducible way to share the truth with those in his group that he was discipling. In other words, it was a way that he modeled that they could go out and do. Now, that was very important because not all of those fellows were gifted preachers. In fact, we don't even know if any of them were really gifted preachers. I mean, when I read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, I know it was done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know he probably made a D in my preaching class in seminary. I mean, it's not organized very well. 
And uh, we don't have any idea if any of those guys were really great preachers. Certainly several of the deacons were probably extraordinary preachers that we have them identified in the Scripture. But, uh, but he showed them a way they could go and do what he did with them with others is what he did. And they went out and they did it. And they were successful. They were successful because they were following the way that Jesus had modeled discipleship with them. You know, one of the things they discovered as Jesus taught them things is he just told them a whole lot of stories. In fact, the book of Luke records 24 parables that Jesus shared with his disciples. 24 stories just in the book of Luke that Jesus shared with his disciples. And then what they also understood about Jesus as he was revealing truth to them is that he was asking questions all of the time. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus asked many more questions than he ever answers. That's not true for most of us, is it? A disciple is a learner. And what we find Jesus doing as he was teaching is that he was asking many more questions than he actually answered. In fact, uh, Jesus asked 307 questions in the Gospel accounts. How about that? 307 questions Jesus asked just in the Gospel account. That's what's recorded. Jesus has asked 183 questions in the Gospels. You know how many of those 183 questions he actually answered? Three. So Jesus was about telling stories and asking questions and leading people to the truth in that way. Now, why did he do that? Because if you're always going to be answering questions, you better be an expert. Right? If that's going to be your approach to discipleship, answering questions, you better know better more than anyone else in order to be effective. But let me tell you something. If you can tell stories and you can ask questions and you can trust the Holy Spirit, people will discover the truth through your leadership. So Jesus gave his disciples a reproducible process that anyone can do, even those who just had the skill of fishing could use his method. Even a tax collector who was trained in math could use his method. Even a zealot who at one time warred against the Romans could use what he modeled for them in order to effectively share the truth with others. What is preventing you from doing what Jesus did? If Jesus has called all of us, to make disciples of Jesus. And we're supposed to be sharing the truth with others the way the Apostle Paul shared the truth with others. And that's really what's going to make us an unlikely hero of the faith. That's what's really going to change people's lives. Then what's preventing us from just following Jesus and doing what Jesus did? Well, I think there's all kinds of reasons. I think one of the first ones is that calling. Some people just don't believe that they're called. They're, they, they believe they're called to be Christians, but they don't call, feel like they're called to disciple others or speak the truth to others. That's someone else's job. Well, that's just not true. Jesus calls every one of his followers to make disciples. We know that from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So if you're going, yeah, it's just not my calling, I want you to know you're wrong. You need to get past that. You need to buy in fully that it is your calling to be making disciples for Jesus Christ and speaking the truth on his behalf. What about training? Well, some say, I'm just not trained how to do it. Well, I want you to know 
we will provide the training from the life of Jesus for you to do this if you'll join the training. We will provide that. And, and the first step that you need to take is just get in one of our groups where it's being done and start watching and observing what's happening there, the way the leader is leading. And then you just, once you get it, I tell our people in our group, if you've been around our group for two or three months, you've been equipped to go and disciple others. You just need to go do it. Calling, training. What about people? Some people just say, oh, I just can't find any people. You know, I just can't, I don't know. It's amazing how we can go find everything else and we can't go find people to disciple. You know, uh, recruiting people starts with loving people that are not like us. That's where recruiting people starts. Jesus did not recruit one carpenter and he was trained to be a carpenter. Isn't that something? You think he just recruited all carpenters because they were all like him. Jesus did not recruit one person from his hometown to be his disciple. Jesus recruited a very di diverse group of men to disciple. And he just loved them. You know, recruiting people means inviting people to join your group. People would not have followed Jesus if Jesus had not said, follow me. In fact, Jesus said, follow me at least 21 times in the Gospels. How many times have you said it to someone else? Hey, you want to grow as in, in your understanding of the Bible? Follow me, I'll teach you. Come on. You say, well, why would I do that? <laughs> because you're a disciple of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. And you've got to recruit people. You've got to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And I'll show you how to do it. That's the way Jesus did it. Why not do what he did? You know, uh, people that are lost or immature always require us to have perseverance in discipleship. In fact, that's where we really learn to love people is in that grind of loving people that aren't all that responsive to our invitation. It, Jesus demonstrated that for, with uh, his own disciple. God uses perseverance to grow our faith and our love. Some would say, well, I just don't have enough time to do that. Do you know there's just nothing more important in your life if you are a Christian than the souls of other people and the Word of God? I don't care how much you got going on in your life. We're all busy people in various ways. The world's always pulling at us, isn't it, for something. But what's most important to God, what's most important for eternity, is the souls of people. So if you say, I don't have enough time, you're really saying there's other things that are more important than the souls of people. And, Je and Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 27, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. You know, the reason why souls of people should be more priority to us than anything else is that their souls, according to this scripture, are eternal. This world is going to perish. We spend so much time investing ourselves in something that the Bible says is going to be melted with intense heat. You know, right now I'm painting our back fence, and it's a long project. I can only work about three hours at a time, and I'm done for the day. I have to put all that paint equipment back up, get it out the next time, and uh, there is... Uh, there's 90 yards of fence. The fence is seven foot tall. So there's, what, 2,700 square feet of fence. And it's taken me a while to do that. You know what's going to happen to that fence? 
it's going to melt with intense heat. In other words, it is a created thing right now. What God's Word says, it's going to become uncreated. It's going to cease to exist. Why in the world are we investing our lives in things that are going to cease to exist while the souls of men are eternal and they're going to last forever? Incredible. What we see right now, the created will become uncreated. When this world is gone, those of us who are in Christ, you know what's going to happen to us, I believe, when we're in heaven? I don't believe that we're going to have any recollection of this world at all. I think everything's going to be made new. I mean, if I have recollection of this world, that means I'm going to have recollection of people in hell. How in the world am I going to be free of sorrow in heaven if I've got recollection of people in hell? That wouldn't be possible. I mean, right now, from my memories, I have sorrow all the time of things I'm remembering in this world that are tainted by sin or tainted by death. I tell you what, when we get in that new world, I want you to understand everything is going to be made new. Yeah, we're going to know each other, that, everyone that's there, but we're going to know the perfected others. Everybody's going to be perfected. Now, why in the world do we spend so much time then investing our lives here and making that a priority rather than investing ourselves in the souls of men? There's not a more important way to use our time than to share the truth with others. How about shame? Is that keeping you from going to make disciples and sharing the truth with others? Being defeated by habitual sins causes you to suffer from shame. You can declare who you are in Christ as much as you want, but if you're defeated by habitual sin over and over and over, you're going to keep struggling with shame. You know what that shame's going to do? It's going to deflate your enthusiasm for sharing the truth with others. I mean, if you don't have a clear conscience with God and man, if you're living in habitual sin, you're going to have difficulty going and say, hey, brother, love your wife as Christ loved the church if you're not doing it yourself. Shame keeps us from sharing the truth with others. How about fear? You know, the Holy Spirit was given to us to empower us to have courage to share the truth with others. You overcome fear by being ready to die for the name of Jesus. You overcome fear by working as a team with others. Making disciples is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. Jesus sent those disciples out two by two. We work as teams as well as we disciple others. Or what about passion? Is that what's keeping you from really answering this call to go out and speak the truth to others and do discipleship the way that Jesus did it? You just don't have that passion? Well, let me tell you something. To have that passion, you've got to be born again of the Spirit of the living God in John 3, 3. And when the Spirit of God unites with our spirit, it creates all kinds of incredible eternal passions that we didn't have before. Not fleshly passions, but eternal passions that come from the Spirit of Christ living in us. And I want you to understand something. If you want to go out and make a difference for Jesus because you recognize that he died for your sins when you didn't deserve his death for your sins. You recognize that he rose from the dead and you believe that he's Lord of heaven and earth and you believe that one day Jesus will return and he will judge the living and the dead and that he is going to rule and reign on this planet for a thousand years. And then after that thousand years is up, he's going to create a new heaven and earth for all of us that are in him and we're going to be there forever and ever and ever. Man, if you believe that, you need to tell the Lord Jesus that you want him to be your Savior 
and Lord. He will forgive your sin. He will come into you, and He will give you that passion to go and make disciples of others. What I want to do this morning is invite you to receive Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. If you've never done that before, I invite you to do it today. I want to invite you to answer the call of Jesus to share the truth with others. Say, yes, I hear you calling me through this preacher this morning. I say, yes, I want to answer that call. I say, yes, I will follow the model that Jesus has set for us in order to enable us uh, to teach us and instruct us in the way that we should share the truth with others. I want to invite you to join our training. And like I said previously, that training starts with just joining one of our small groups, watching one of our small group leaders as they model for you what Jesus did with his disciples. I want to invite you to become an unlikely hero of our faith. I want every one of us in the church of Jesus to rise up, and I want us to become these people like Paul that go forth and share the truth with others. That's what our nation needs right now, right? I mean, people are saying we need different politics. No, what we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ to be shared by the church of Jesus Christ with others. Will you join me in that endeavor? Let's go make disciples. Let's pray together this morning. And here's a prayer that I would encourage you to pray this morning. If the Lord's working in your heart, first of all, for salvation. If you don't know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die, if you don't know for sure that your sins have been forgiven by God, if you're under the weight of shame in your life and the burden of sin right now, then turn to the Lord Jesus and repent of your sin and believe upon him and express your prayer to him. And here's what you could pray. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Would you pray that to the Lord right now? If you want to receive Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And then if you just prayed that right now and you meant it from the sincere heart, then I want to invite you to follow Jesus in baptism. Jesus himself was baptized. He set an example for us to follow if we want to be his followers. So I want to encourage you, if you're watching online right now, you're here this morning, follow the Lord in baptism. You can connect with us uh, through a connect card here in the auditorium. There's some back there on the back table. Or you can connect online or you can call the church office. Say, I need to be baptized. And we will help you get that done. Have you ever surrendered to the call on your life from God to go and make disciples? You say, I need to surrender that call. Yes, you do. You need to go all in. If you never go all in, you won't do it. Will you do it? If you would do it, if you would accept this call of God to share the truth with others and follow the way that Jesus made disciples, then I encourage you to pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I surrender to your call upon my life to share the truth with others. I dedicate myself to follow the way that you made disciples. Would you pray that to the Lord if you're accepting that call to go and share the truth with others? You can't have a better idea or a better way to do it than what Jesus did. Let him be the authority. And we definitely will help you 
as we're learning to follow Him, we'll teach you how to follow Him. And then we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to speak the truth with courage. If you are willing to answer that call to go and make disciples, would you pray a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, fill me with your Spirit and help me speak to the truth to others. One person at a time. One person at a time. That's the way the Lord leads us. He leads us one person at a time. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what method we use, in order to be effective and successful with others. Would you pray that to the Lord? Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that is within us. Lord, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in our politicians. Our hope is in your gospel that you have revealed to us through your grace and through your mercy. Lord, you've made the gospel this incredible news known to us. Lord, I pray that you would stir us up, stir up our faith through the Spirit to go and share the truth with others, even as the Apostle Paul did. Make all of us unlikely heroes of faith one person at a time. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together this morning. If you're online, I want to encourage you. Make a comment. Let us know you're there. Uh, one of the most difficult things about this time period is that we don't really know who makes up the membership of our church anymore. We're starting to see it more often now as we've grown the last couple of weeks. But if you're watching online and you're a part of us, please make a comment. And if, even if you're not a member of our church, please make a comment on there. Let us know that you're joining us. And please share, share the truth with others. One way that you can do it, it's not the way that Jesus did it, but one way you can do it it's just on Facebook, just share it, share the message, and maybe someone else will be watching it and being blessed by it. All right, well, let's close in prayer this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate, once again, all of our deacons who set up this new set. I think we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I see seven empty seats over here that I'd like to see filled next week. Wouldn't that be great? And uh, that would be awesome. And we've got enough space. We could add some more if, if need be, okay? Yes, sure. Roles here is I'm, whoa, there we go. One of my roles here is I'm our small group pastor, and in light of this message you just heard this morning, if you're not connected to a group and you want to get connected, you could just see me after the service. We'll be mingling around, and I'll, I'll introduce you to a small group leader that's here this morning. We have several of them here this morning. Love to help you get connected. All right. Now, we have, we're trying to give up that, that, terminology, uh, social distancing, uh, because Christians, we can't. We cannot remain socially distant from one another. We're violating the Word of God if we do. And so physically distancing is what we would call it, but we're still having social relationship with each other, right? Okay, well, I want you to physically distance but make sure that you greet one another as you leave today. All right? You're dismissed. Thank you for being here. Hey, it, protect someone else. I'm going to mask up. Mask up, okay, if you, can, if you got one. If not, we have them out there.